We'll get right into it. And um, as we look at this part, I think there are no better parts of the Bible to look at to think about what a church is to be on about. Uh, this is a really valuable part of scripture uh, in Hebrews 10 to think about what our focus should be as a church and not just as a community of people, but the focus that we bring into relationship with each other. So my hope is that as we kind of pause and have a think about 2022, move into 2023, and no doubt there'll be all kinds of hopes and dreams that we have for the year ahead, uh, particularly coming out of the last three years. But with church, my prayer is that we'll be shaped by this part of scripture. So tune in with me. I've actually laid it out uh, on the piece of paper that you got when you came in, in a particular way and highlighted certain words so that you can see the structure of this passage very clearly. Uh, I think the structure of this passage shows the logic of what God's calling us to. Now, the first thing that we see there is certain foundations. Uh, therefore, being the first word, points back to the 10 chapters uh, that have gone before. And if you know the book of Hebrews, it's, it's like a long sermon and the foundation that's come before is pretty much saying why Jesus is the best thing ever. He's calling people to persevere. He wants them to endure for the long haul. And one of the particular threats to them doing this is to go back to the Jewish way of life that many of the people held beforehand. Uh, he says that's not the way to go forward. In fact, that's to go back to the shadowlands, the reality, the, the colour photograph, if you like, that is to be found in the New Testament is seen in Jesus. So don't go back to the stick figures. Don't go back to the shadows. Don't go back to the things that were preparing for the main event. Stick with Jesus. And he's gone on to show us how Jesus has fulfilled all of the worship system in the Old Testament. Uh, we looked at this a little bit as we were in the book of Exodus earlier this year. God made a way that people could come into his presence. He established a special place, the tabernacle, which became the temple. He established special people, the priests, who would be like a go-between so that a sinful person could have sacrifices offered for them so they could then not be burned up by a holy God, but come into the presence of a holy God. And now we've been told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the fulfilment of all of that. Uh, in the logic of this passage, you see it there with two statements that start with, since we have. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Or in other words, because Jesus is our one true, perfect, complete sacrifice. We can go right into the presence of God knowing that we have been fully cleansed. And then he says, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. It points to the event of Jesus' crucifixion when the curtain temple was ripped in two and symbolically you could get access into the most holy place in the temple, but the real curtain that has been ripped into is the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus, him giving his life for us, is the way that we can have access into the very central throne room of God 
We can come close to God. We can pray to God. We can be in relationship with God since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. That's his first foundation. Secondly, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, not only did Jesus take the role of the sacrificial lamb, giving his life willingly for us, he took the role of the priest who offered the worship for us and he continues to intercede for us. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, we are invited to approach God's throne of grace, to come into his presence knowing that we can do so because there is one who is Jesus, the high priest, who will intercede for us. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's laying these foundations. He's saying Jesus has fulfilled it all. Therefore, we can now have confidence to go right into the presence of God because he's paid the price and he remains, Jesus, a priest over the house of God. He's alive so that we can come before him and be in the presence of God with Jesus interceding for us. They're the foundations. Now, if you are focused on how you can be right with God, uh, there are various strategies that you might apply. You might be thinking, can I be good enough as a person? You might be thinking, can I be religious enough? Can I follow the rules as faithfully as possible? And the book of Hebrews reminds us, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. You won't measure up with any of that, but you don't have to. Because of Jesus, you can now come into the very presence of God. That's your foundation. If you don't know that as your foundation, here's the starting point, friends. Because of this foundation, we can now be right with God, but Hebrews is written not just so that we know how to be right with God, but to exhort us to remain right with God, to keep on going, not to shift to the left or to the right, not to fall away from Jesus, not to go back to rule-keeping and law-keeping and so on, but to actually keep us on the pathway that has been grounded in Jesus and continues in Jesus. And we see that in what follows. So you've got, since we have this, since we have this, then look at verse 22, let us do something. 23, let us do something. 24, let us do something. In the old NIV, this is the new NIV, there were actually five lettuces. So that, that was definitely the greengrocer's passage. This one, not quite so much. Dad joke, all right, okay. Just wanted to see if you're still awake. Um, but there are three exhortations that follow. First is, because Jesus has laid the foundation, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The picture here is an invitation to keep drawing near to the God who's made it possible. It's personal, but it's also plural. It's also corporate. It's also as a church. As we think about 2023, let's be people who keep coming into the presence of God. And you don't need to come to a church building to come into the presence of God. It's not coming to a school hall that gets you into the presence of God. It's not 
having a particular religious posture that brings you into the presence of God. It's quite simply Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Draw near to God. Come before him in prayer. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep acknowledging him as your king, as your prophet, as your priest. Keep knowing that Jesus has paid the price so that we can be cleansed from a guilty conscience. We can be right with God. Nothing ought to stand as a barrier between relating to God. Let's just keep drawing near. Secondly, let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Come to God through Christ, but keep doing that. Don't swerve this way or that way. No, keep focused on Jesus and do that confidently. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. One of the great things about this passage, and it's spelled out in other parts of Hebrews, is that it doesn't ultimately depend upon you as to whether you'll be right with God for eternity. So You might be tempted to think, okay, I know that I start with Jesus and I put my trust in him, but then I've got to make sure I stay on track forever. But he who promised is faithful. God will finish what he started. So therefore, hold unswervingly. How many of you have ever been skiing? Some of, some of you? How many of you know what snow is? All right, the rest of you. Okay. Well, um, we used to live in Canberra, which is a lot closer to the snow fields than Bonnie Hills, uh, although it feels a little bit like that this afternoon. And one of the things about going up the slopes in order to ski back down again is that there are various contraptions that will help you to do that. And the most difficult of them, I think, is the T-bar or the pommer. Um, the pommer, you kind of put between your legs and hope to keep your skis in the right direction and it pulls you up the hill. The T-bar is okay if you're matched with somebody on the other side of the T-bar who's about the same uh, weight as you, who can keep their skis going in the right direction as well. Both of those things are very precarious. Um, you can find yourself kind of skidding out and falling over and having to go right back down the bottom and do it again. Uh, you can find yourself steering off and having to actually boycott the whole thing because you're going to crash into a pole or something. There's all kinds of things that are difficult and it's up to you to keep straight. But there's another thing called a chairlift and all you've got to do is get on it and stay on it and it'll take you there. Now, you could choose to get off. Um, it, it, it's not wise to do that before you get to the end. There's normally a good drop. Many people, I think, believe that the Christian life is a bit like trying to stay straight on a T-bar. That is, it's all up to you. But I think it's much more like getting on the chairlift. Yes, you can jump off. Yes, you can do stupid things and talk to my wife and I have done stupid things. Like the first time I ever got on a chairlift, the, the words that were ringing through my head was make sure you push off at the end so you don't stay on the chair. And I pushed off against my wife. She stayed on. 
uh, I got off and she did the lap of disgrace all the way back down to the bottom again and then back up the top. Now, I'm not sure what to do with that with my theological illustration. Um, I think it's like, don't get on a chairlift with me. I think that's it. But we are to hold unswervingly because God is faithful. But then this last thing, I want us to look at this exhortation and take a little bit more time with this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This makes it very clear that God doesn't envisage that the Christian life is a lone affair. God brings us into relationship with each other. He invites us into his family. He brings us into the body of Christ. And we all have a different part to play in that body. We are members together of God's church that we have seen in Matthew that Jesus himself is building. So that means we are called to help each other to persevere till the end. And that's what this is about. Consider how you may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say this. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now that would be a good thing to say, wouldn't it? Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. It doesn't say that. Have a look. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. I think it's saying that if you're going to do that, you've got to engage your mind. You need to actually think about it. See, we can turn up at church, and we, we do that as we gather here on a Sunday, but we can do it without engaging our mind. It's just what we do. We get into autopilot, it's a quarter to four. Uh, we head down to church. But we can pause in advance and consider how we might spur one another on to love and good works. It's a great thing to think about who might be there. Who is it that you'll be meeting up with? Who can you be encouraging? And then, of course, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think this verse came into its own over the pandemic because it just became easy to give up meeting together because it was difficult. There were health issues. There were safety issues. There were all of those sniffles and coughs and, and things that maybe would lead you to not want to be around other people because you don't want to pass anything on and you don't want people to think that you might have something that shouldn't be passed on. And it just became awkward and it was easier for people to stay away. Now, I don't think that's true of SALT by and large. I believe that people kept meeting together even when it was that less than ideal meeting over Zoom and then getting back together again and, and encouraging each other. But it's a habit that can be formed. The Word of God calls us not to give up meeting together, but, but to encourage one another. See, that's the one thing that you cannot do on your own. You might be able to listen to a sermon online, you'll get a better one than you'll get here. You'll be able to listen to some music and it will be fabulous. You, you can actually even give money via the bank and you don't need to turn up anywhere to do that. You can pray, even with other people. No, you can only do that when you meet 
together. And we meet for the purpose of encouraging one another. And it says, all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, every morning you wake up, it's one day closer to seeing Jesus. Either one day closer to his return or one day closer to your return to him. But there's an urgency about life. And so, because of that urgency about life, we're encouraged to make a priority of meeting together for the purpose of spurring each other on to love and good deeds. That is, living out what the Christian life is all about. So there's the foundation. It's basically the gospel. Jesus has paid it all. And there's the exhortations to draw near to God, to keep doing that, and to consider how we may spur one another on. What about the application for us? Well, we've hinted at that. We've started to dabble with these things. Let's just get explicit for a few minutes. See, the obvious application of this starts with the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest and our sacrifice. We are called to not move from that foundation, not to be distracted from it, not to accept or be distracted into accepting a different gospel. No, Jesus is where it's at. As unpopular as it might be to mention the name of Jesus or to own up in public that you are a follower of Jesus, this is where it's at. So hang on to the gospel. And because the gospel is such great news, I think the implication here is that we ought to encourage one another to share that good news. Because to spur each other on to love and good deeds for those around us who don't know Jesus, the best thing for them is to come to know their saviour. So there are gospel implications. There are gather implications here as well. Quite explicitly, let's not give up meeting together. Don't develop bad habits of church being a, a second thought or a third thought or a fourth thought. Something that happens when it's convenient. Now, the thing is, whenever we speak about the importance of gathering together to church, at church, it's like preaching to the choir, right? You're here. You've obviously applied this. Not a problem. Well, you know, if you haven't been here for a long time, you know, if you haven't been to the church, you usually go to for a long time. But let's not just think about ourselves. Let's actually care about one another in our fellowship. Have a look around. Who are you missing? Who haven't you seen for a while? Who might be doing it tough? There are many reasons why people give up the habit of meeting together or make a habit of doing other things instead. But it's always dangerous. You might have heard the illustration of coals that have been left in a fire and the fire has been unattended and the coals are separated out and they, they grow cold. And there's no life in the fire at all. How do you reignite that fire? Well, it's very simple. You shift those coals close together. And the combined heat of 
one coal with another and another and another and another regularly reignites that fire, re-establishes the flame, produces far more heat together than it ever could in isolation. Friends, I think that's a good picture of church. We're here to encourage each other, to spur each other on. It's, it's not easy being Christian. It's difficult following Jesus in our world. It will probably get harder and harder for our children and their children. And so let's make a priority of gathering together to spur each other on. I've been around long enough now to see the peers of many of my children no longer having anything to do with church. And it's a sadness to their parents when their kids are no longer calling themselves Christian or going to church or showing any interest in spiritual things. And, and I can't know exactly why that's happened. But I'll tell you what, there's a pattern that I see. And the pattern is, for many of those young adults who have no interest in church, they have parents who had an only occasional interest in church. They didn't have modelled to them the priority of gathering regularly, of making it a priority, of investing in others. They didn't have that example of people who commit together to give rather than thinking, what can I get? The purpose of God's word here is that we grow together. And it's worth actually looking at what the scriptures say about spiritual growth because it's so often a corporate thing. It's the church that grows into maturity. We need each other. I need you. We all need one another. So let's gather with purpose. Let's gather with a desire to encourage. Let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and to good deeds. We've been hearing a little bit about the youth uh, strategy for next year. Why do we want to gather youth together into a group? Need I say it? It's for these reasons. Same with our kids. Same with our salt groups. Let me tell you about another ministry which we're going to launch next year. Um, I now have a seniors card. You get them when you turn 60. Um, and I've uh, been meeting together with a few people who've been talking about ways of encouraging our retirees, of whom we have a fair few. We even... Uh, are living in an area with a higher proportion of retirees than many parts of Australia. Uh, as many of you can testify, it's not a bad place to retire. And so we'll continue to attract people. We're going to start up a five or six time a year gathering for seniors so that people can get to know each other, so that people can be meeting and building relationships with a view to sparing each other on. Um, there'll be more information about that. For now, there's only 
One thing that you need to help me work out. What to call it? Old salts? Smelling salts? Senior salties? Anyway, there might well be a competition. Um, I'm not old enough to adjudicate it, but there you go. And lastly, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and notice this, and all the more as you see the day approaching, and all the more, encouraging all the more. You know what that is? It's about giving, not getting. Um, How do you evaluate a church? Well, I think it's about how you give. And I'm not talking about necessarily giving money. There's also time. There's using our gifts. There's the application of uh, opportunity and relationship and um, needs and working all that out as to how you can fit in. I want to encourage you as you think about 2023 to think about how you give to salt. And in saying that, this is not a browbeat. This is not aimed to guilt anyone because this is the church where I have been most encouraged in my life by the way that I see people generously giving to serving together. I just want to encourage us to keep doing it and to find new ways to do it and to do it generously. The scriptures call us to serve one another, to encourage one another, but to do it from a spirit of generosity. Because we're willing, not because we must. Because we have the opportunity. And so I want to encourage you, as you enter into the new year, to think about how you might give time, gifts and money. Those of you who don't normally come to SALT, just tune out for two seconds. I just want to say something about money. We shared our budget last week, for those of you who are here, for the year ahead. We've worked out that it probably means in order to meet our current commitments and continue that ministry, that we need to increase our budget by around 15 to 20%. So maybe have a think about 20 in 23, increasing 20% or maybe 20 people thinking about giving who perhaps aren't able to or aren't at the moment. So with that in mind and with four minutes remaining, let me encourage you to remember that we have a brilliant foundation in Jesus and it's a blessing from God to us to enable us with no impediments to come into the very presence of God. Do you count that as a privilege? We can be with God. We can come before God in prayer. And we're encouraged to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Not to be tossed around like a boat on the seas, not to be pulled this way and that way, but to keep focused on Jesus. In Hebrews, he'll go on to say, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And we're encouraged to look to each other 
to spur each other on, to encourage each other, to use the gifts, the time, the money, the energy, everything that God's given to us to encourage one another and to do that all the more because we've got one less day than the day before.